Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Jeeps, pool sharks, the past, the present, high stakes and high altitudes. This week on Tempest. I'm David Obachowski. Welcome to Tempest, a series that explores our hilarious, heartbreaking, complicated, and sometimes crazy relationships with cars. Now, this story, you know the saying, you had to be there? Well, this is one of those stories where I really did want to be there. And I want to take you there, too, even if the story itself happened 45 years ago. Now, in this case, there is Colorado, a state which, ironically, I just moved a thousand miles away from shortly before recording this. So, I caught a flight back to the place I once called home. Spirit Airlines would like to welcome you to Denver, Colorado, where the local time is approximately 11.29 a.m. Please remain seated in the seatbelt securely. Hold on, this is the terminal. All passengers, please exit and follow signs to ground transportation and baggage claim. Please watch your step. Waiting to pick me up, the main character of the story, a man named David. Welcome to Denver, Colorado, partner. Hey, thank you so much. We hop into David's truck and we hit the road to begin the journey. Along the way, I ask him to tell me about himself. Um, how old are you? Well, let's see, 68, 68. And you said you're from Oklahoma. Yep. Where in Oklahoma? Well, grew up in Tulsa. I grew up right next to the Arkansas River, so I'm kind of a river rat. I asked him about Tulsa in the 60s. What was it like? A lot of cruising going on, a lot of carousing going on, and uh, kind of like the Clapton song, After Midnight. Well, you know, that's what was going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There was the uh, classic drive-in hamburger joint. You cruise through there, whether you're hungry or not, that didn't matter. You're just going to come through with your, you know, your GTO, your uh, Z28, your uh, Plymouth GTX. Um, it was pretty cool, you know, so it was uh, a lot of exhaust. <laughs> we were breathing along with your hamburger. But there was something else besides hot rods and hamburgers. And this is important considering where this story is going to take us. There was also, you know, a pool hall across the street, which uh, where I could be found. You know, that's where I got my street cred, I think, you know, hanging out at the pool hall. Now, this is a little bit of the underbelly of uh, South Peoria Street. This is where you know, a lot of gambling and pool playing went on, and so um, that was another place that we, that we hung out quite a bit. How frequently were you at the pool hall? Too frequently. Uh, a couple of times my dad came in and he yanked me out of there. Of course, there's nothing more embarrassing than having your old man come in and uh, pull you out of the pool hall. But back to cars for a second. Remember when David was talking about the GTOs, the GTXs, the Z28s? He wasn't exactly driving those kinds of machines. Back then, I actually, <clears throat> I didn't have anything that was red hot, but 
<clears throat> I did actually buy uh, and made payments on an MG Midget. So I went British. Of course, they were horrible cars. They're like uh, Jeeps, of course. Um, they were like Jeeps. And David should know because David, David's a Jeep guy. And I talked to someone else for the story who's also a Jeep guy. His name, well, his name's also David, actually. His name is David Tracy, and he's a writer with Jalopnik. And when I told him we were going to be talking about Jeeps, he said, Oof. A topic near to my heart. Let's do it. In case you're wondering about David Tracy's Jeep credentials, he's got them. My first vehicle uh, was a Jeep. Uh, that's what I learned to drive on. It was a 98 Grand Cherokee. Uh, we lived in eastern Kansas near the Missouri River. We had a lot of fun with that Jeep in the, the floodplains, and um, I was hooked at that point, to the point where I, I resolved to go into engineering so that I could work at Jeep. Um, and it became a deep obsession. Subsequently, I've purchased uh, somewhere around nine additional Jeeps. Um, I currently have seven. Uh, in total. And that dream he had about working for Jeep, he made it come true. Yes, yeah, that was a dream. It was really lucky timing, too, because as soon as I got there, the JL, so the newest generation Wrangler program, began. Um, and I was lucky enough to lay the foundation for the, the cooling systems for all powertrains on the, the JL Wrangler, which, uh, you know, came in at 21 years old and, um, yeah, achieved my dream. It was great. As for the other David... I moved out to Colorado, oh, roughly 1970. You know, that's, that's kind of where my little Jeep history started back right about then. Almost immediately, he took on a number of Jeeps, including a 56 Willys pickup, a 69 CJ5, and his beloved 1958 CJ5. In case you don't know your Jeep history, here's David Tracy to fill you in on why the CJ5 and CJ5s of that era are so special. The CJ5 is... It's an interesting one because it's uh, it's it's the first CJ without that's not a flat fender Jeep. So Jeep started out in World War II um, as the Willys MB or the Ford GPW. They were kind of the same thing. Then came the M38A1, which was a military vehicle, um, and that vehicle. So so in the 50s, the M38A1 spawned the CJ5. So the CJ5 is it's just a um, demilitarized uh, M38A1, and actually this 1958 that you're talking about still has um, some remnants from the, the military version. Like you can see a cutout in the hood for the snorkel and then a little notch on the driver's side of the hood for the blackout lights. So yeah, it's a really cool, um, you know, civilianized uh, military Jeep. Now, 1970 wasn't just the year David got into Jeeps. It was also the year David and his family relocated to Colorado. They moved to a place called Fairplay. It's a small town, though you may be familiar with it already. Is, is it true that Fairplay is South Park, the, that where that TV show is supposed to take place is actually supposed to be Fairplay? Yeah, it is. And of course they went crazy with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> they used the town as a sort of a place to just comment on everything going on in the world, you know, and nobody's safe. After only one year in Colorado, Dave, with the help of his brother Flip, bought a house. Not just any house, but an imposing Victorian on a hill. Tall gables, uh, sort of darkish-looking windows, not for any other reason, but they just kind of look that way. They're, they're original windows, by the way, you know. Finally, uh, a gal named Sandra Dallas, who's a somewhat well-known author, she did a book on Colorado 
Victorian homes. The, our Fair Play home was featured in that book and uh, it was, uh, she claimed that the town knew it as the Haunted House of Fair Play. Here's David's wife, Pat. David bought the house in 1971 when he was only 21 years old and then it certainly looked real rustic and I and when I moved to Colorado um, my first thought was it looked like the house on Psycho. But this story isn't just about ghosts only well it kind of is. It's about a time that's long past about a jeep that's long gone a bar that's now just an abandoned building and a person who David once was but who no longer is. Coming up in Chapter 2, A Ride Goes Wrong. We head up to Fair Play. Along the way, we stop off for a beer at a friendly restaurant called The Shaggy Sheep, not far from where everything went down in 1974. Pat tells me about the early days of their relationship. Oh yeah, he's a smooth operator. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he is, yeah. A smooth operator who knew his way around a pool table. We would always drive up here and stop at all these little bars, and he would play pool and win a lot of money. And then we'd go out to eat because he would play pool and win money. Everybody would have their eyes on him, and it'd be real quiet. I mean, he was he was really good. I mean, that was definitely his sport. I don't think he was a good football player in high school <laughs> ever, but he was a great pool player. I mean, that was definitely his glory. I never saw him lose. Yeah. David wasn't kidding when he said he'd haunt the pool halls back in Tulsa as a teen. That's where he learned to stuff and watch the hustlers. These guys are, um, <laughs> they probably could have been preachers. You know, I mean, they, they know how to work the crowd. And, uh, of course, they're fun to watch because they're extremely good. But uh, usually it's maybe some a stranger that kind of walks into the pool hall. Somebody from across the, the across town or something. Uh, they know there's a game going on there. They think they're pretty good. And maybe they're the hustler, you know. Some of these guys also got hustled themselves. They had to. When he got to Colorado, he didn't miss a beat. He found his people. You know, I was kind of part of a group of people up here, guys, of course, that were doing this. We were all fashioned ourselves, I guess, as pool sharks. There's one, a sucker born every minute, as they say. Well, you know, they walk into the pool hall. That's what was going on back in those days. And uh, it was just part of the fraternity that I was hanging around with. I'm not going to say they were, uh, it wasn't the church crowd, certainly. And where did this fraternity of pool sharks hang out? It's called the Platte River Inn. The guy that used to own it, his name was Walter. The Platte River Inn was in Grant, Colorado quite close to fair play. Now, Dave may call himself a pool shark, but he's clear. There's a difference. A shark plays pool for money, but a hustler hustles. I'm uh, honestly going to tell you I was never a hustler. I always tried to do my best. I wasn't trying to con anybody uh, into a game just for the sake of really uh, emptying their pockets. So, uh, you know, for me, I showed them my best game from the first break to the last break. Whatever that was. We arrive at the haunted house in the early evening. It's a striking structure, and there's no question why it's called what it's called. Seems more like a place Edward Gorey and Edgar Allan Poe might go halvesies on, rather than a couple kids from Oklahoma, but hey, what do I know? And anyway, as striking as the house is, there's something else that catches my attention. It's a Jeep. A very unique Jeep. An 81, 1981 
Jeep Cherokee Laredo, and that was the name of it's a it's a wagoneer, so it's it's also known as the full size Jeep, or in Jeep terminology, it's FSJ. It's it's kind of dented up, but you know, everywhere where I drive it, people just love the daggum thing, and they want to know, you know, what it is. A lot of them, of course, a lot of people, a lot of guys are sort of millennial types. They're younger. They got what in the heck is that thing? You know, what makes this particular Jeep so tough to pin down is the front end. When they first came out with this model, they had what a Jeep enthusiast called the Gladiator grill, and it's kind of a uh, vertical bar grill, and it kind of comes to a point up in, in the middle uh, of the car. Kind of has the, uh, kind of has the image of a chariot, you know, uh, like a remember the Ben Hur movie. So it kind of like has the it kind of has that look, you know, it has that that peak in it, which gives it kind of an aggressive look. Like, I'm, I'm ready to take on that mountain, and nothing can stop me. What's so genuinely cool about this is that these grills he's talking about, they only appeared on Jeeps in the early to mid-60s. His is a 1981. It was easily converted. This is an 81, so, I mean, you're talking about a Jeep that was came down 20 years later. And, of course, Jeeps are famous for really not changing the model much. You know, they changed the owners quite a bit, but the model kind of stayed the same. Like David Tracy, once a Jeep guy, always a Jeep guy, I guess. We go in the house, sip a couple whiskeys, nibble on some food, and as darkness falls and the temperature plummets, Dave stokes a fire in the wood-burning stove and we get comfortable. It's story time. I'm going to let him tell this, but I do need to fill in some gaps here and there. So just to set the stage, it's 1974. Dave's in his early 20s living with his brother and his brother's girlfriend here at the haunted house. You know, we're living here. You know, my we were working construction. Now, this when you say we, just uh, my brother and I. You and your, and your brother's name? Flip. Flip. Okay. Yeah, Philip, but he was Flip. For fun, obviously, Dave plays pool, but also they ride horses. In fact, we were uh, dabbling a bit in um, rodeo and competing just in local little stuff here. I mean, we were actually members of the state. You know, Colorado State Rodeo Association at that time. We were, you know, we could ride a horse, we could rope, we, you know, but we just weren't quite, you know, right there to be, you know, anything big. So these guys are hardly renting horses, which, is that even a thing you can do, rent a horse? What do I know? I'm just a guy from New Jersey. My point is, they're the real deal. They, you know, own horses, including a filly. Now, if you're, again, like me, and from New Jersey, you probably think of Philly as a cheesesteak, and yes, you'd be right about that, but in this case, what we're really talking about is a young female horse that is not yet fully trained. Well, I think it was a Sunday or something, and we decide we're all going to go for a ride. Okay, great. So, you know, kind of maybe a little short on horses, long on riders. I said, that's no big deal. I'll just ride the Philly. Also short of saddles and various other things like bridles, bits, and so forth. Well, uh, yeah, I'll just ride the filly bareback. How's that? Famous last words. Well, something happened. The filly uh, just absolutely uh, came uncorked. Uh, She comes, she kind of blows up, and I come off the horse, 
in a very bad way, right onto a hard, you know, hard-packed road, gravel road. I just didn't land right, you know, and uh, it crippled me. I mean, I was, like, in pain. Writhing in agony on the ground, Dave called out to his companions for help. You know, they got me into a vehicle eventually and got me to a hospital. I think we had to drive 40 miles to get to a hospital. The doctor checks him out, and as Dave explains... So I was bent up pretty good. Nothing broken, though, in the end. Nothing broken. Uh, But the pain was considerable. Lots of pain. So I get a bottle of pills, you know, to kind of take the pain away. Well, these are, are, they're Valium. This presented a problem for Dave. I can't work, you know, because I'm doing construction. It's physical work. And so I call my present employer. I say, you know, I really can't come to work. I've hurt myself over the weekend. So So this got him thinking. I couldn't work construction, but I could play pool. And remember, Pat had never even seen the guy lose. You know, I was a fairly good pool player. Had my own custom stick, a Brun, you know, Brunswick stick and something that cost some dough that you carry around in a case, you know. A plan starts coming together now. What happens is uh, my buddy uh, from Oklahoma, he's up here as well, and um, we decide to go down the highway about 25 miles to a little town called Grant, Colorado, on Highway 285 to a little inn called the Platte River Inn. And uh, I know the guy that owns the place. His name's Walter. Well, I happen to know he's a pool player. Coming up in Chapter 3, The Long, Long Night. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before the break, you heard how David was injured on a horse ride. Unable to work construction, he gets the idea to earn some cash another way. And so, with his buddy, he heads down to the Platte River Inn. Of course, naturally, we're uh, drinking a beer, which is the last thing I need to do. Fortunately, my, my buddy's driving. I was so bent, bent up. Couldn't even drive a car. Of course, shouldn't have been driving a car, and I didn't. And then, custom cue in its case, they arrive. We get started on playing some pool. Well, there's quite a few people around, you know. And you put the quarters up, and you know, it's a bar table. So the beers are flowing, the time is ticking, and the bets are getting a little bit bigger. You know, we were throwing the money around. It was, you know, out in full view of everybody. And at, at, at times, sometimes when the money got so big, it was actually we, we had an audience. You know, just like you might see on TV. Everything stops. The jukebox quits, quits playing. And all, we're, all people are doing, they're ordering drinks, and they're watching this crazy pool game for big money going down in front of them. And, you know, it was exciting. Exciting, but before long. It gets kind of out of hand. Now, we're talking 1970s. I kind of forget maybe the actual dollar amounts because uh, I think in today's dollars it would be 
many thousands of dollars that were laid down in 1970-something dollars. I don't think it got to 10000 There may be sometimes it edged up six, eight, you know, but somebody, you know, it did. I mean, I'm, and it's getting late. I mean, the, the pool games just keep going and going and going. Eventually, it's down to me and Walter. And the other guys are out. You know, either they've lost their money, they've lost their interest, or they've gone home. But now it's getting late. And Walter and I keep this thing going with with Walter it was back and forth and I was up then he was up I was up then he was up after a night of this I mean seriously the sun was coming up the next morning and we're playing pool so I'm up I'm down I'm up I'm down and uh, you know I've, I've got Walter by the tail and then pretty soon not much longer yeah, he's got me it goes back and forth all night long, and it got into some really dangerous numbers. Fatigue sets in. <laughs> I'm not even aware of what time it is. It, these pool games just kept going and going and going. The beers, the pills, the pain uh, conspired against me eventually. Uh, too many beers, too many cigarettes, too many pills, you know. I mean, I just, uh, I, I just finally wore down. You know, I was worn out. I was in pain. I see the red sky out the window, which tells me it's got to be 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning now. So I had to finally give up. I cratered. And so it was time for David to settle up with Walter. I did lose all my cash. The money was, the cash out of my pocket was gone. And then I lost what I knew I had in the savings account in the bank. That, that was, I knew what I had there. That was committed. The cash out of my bank account was gone. Um, you know, Walter was taking my word for what I had. And then when that ran out, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of, I can't keep playing because, you know, I'm out of dough. He says, well, what do you got? Um, you know, I started going through the inventory. It wasn't much, but I had this Jeep that I hadn't owned too long. It's kind of a cool Jeep. It's a 58 um, a CJ5, I believe it was, a 58 CJ5. What made it kind of unique, I guess, was um, um, it had a V8 in it. None of it felt good. I did not feel good about having, you know, it was one of those passbook savings account where you'd take a couple hundred dollars and put it in the bank. And then I lost all my dough, and then I lost the Jeep. And, uh, well, that got, you know, my pride was <laughs> pretty hurt. It was, you know, the car was really maybe one of the, the better assets I had. It had the V8 in it. You know, that was attractive back then, you know. So, you know, I mean, I, I didn't hear the end of it for a very long time around here. Part of my traveling all the way back to Colorado to do this story was to hear it in person instead of, say, on the phone. But a big reason is also because the Platte River Inn is still there. Or I should say, the building is. I wanted to see it for myself. So the next day, we hopped into the grill-swapped Wagoneer and headed down Highway 285 to Grant, Colorado. All right, buddy. This is uh, deja vu. We're leaving Fairplay right now, and we're going to be kind of heading 
sort of northeast in the direction of Denver, Colorado, but we're headed for Grant. And we're gonna kind of nurse it down the road. It may get a little noisy because I've got these giant 33s. This is the route that you took. This is from, yeah. from the haunted house to the bar. So this pretty much would have been exactly what you would have driven that fateful, that fateful evening. Yeah, uh, the road hasn't changed. How does this thing drive compared to the, uh, the CJ5, the 58? Uh, well, it drives like a dream. This is my saying, so maybe if you hear it somewhere, it, you know, I made it up, but I kind of joke that you don't really steer a Jeep, you kind of just herd it, you know, <laughs> like a herd of sheep. Before long, our talk of Jeeps turns back to that fateful night. Uh, who gets to decide when we're done? I mean, if you're, if, if it's swinging like a pendulum back and forth, and then it swings in your favor, and all of a sudden, Walt owes you the equivalent of 8,000 bucks in today's dollars. Yeah. You know, couldn't you conceivably at that point just say, all right, I'm done. What is the, uh, the etiquette? <laughs> the gambler's etiquette, the shark's etiquette. What's, how does that work? There's no rule book, obviously, um, on that. I think, in my mind, if you're way up and then you want to quit because you got you know, you got, you got it over your opponent. I, I think in gambling circles, circles, there is kind of a requirement. You got to stick around and make that, that win stick. In other words, maybe even beat him even worse. But David didn't beat him even worse. In fact, just the opposite. Before long, we pull into an abandoned building on Highway 285. But this is the scene we are parked oh, yeah. in front of the Platte River Inn. Yeah, we're looking at it. The sign's gone. Um, this place has probably not been open for, I'm going to guess, at least 20 years. And maybe longer. Let's, uh, let's, let's get out and yeah. walk around a little bit. Let's take a look. Take a look. Coming up in the final chapter, the past, the present, the Platte River Inn. 
Yeah, it's kind of, this place is kind of funky, you know, it's got kind of a Swiss, uh, like it's a Swiss chalet or something, you know, the trim. Yeah. It's, uh, it couldn't be an uglier color, I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> was there bar fights outside ever? Was it a rowdy joint or did it was a sort of a cheers, everyone knows each other kind yeah, of place? I think in any of these places back then, if you wanted to get in a bar fight, you could get in one. Back in those days, we're talking... Vietnam had just ended. Um, you know, the dress of the day was long hair, bell bottoms, uh, minimal dress, bare feet, you know, the, the old sign out front, no shoes, no shirt, no service. That was directly, uh, you know, pointed at hippies. And you come up here, this was conservative redneck country. It still kind of is. It's a conservative county. It mostly leans Republican. So um, it's ranch country, you know. It's funny how some things change and how some things don't. The Platte River Inn, once a bustling roadhouse pool hall where people were betting thousands of dollars, not to mention their most prized possessions, now just an ugly old abandoned building that looks like it's being reclaimed by the mountains behind it and the weeds beneath it. The CJ5 that Dave saw parked out in front of the joint for years after the loss. That's now gone as well. Where? He has no idea. David himself has changed. Once a carefree cowboy, he went into finance, though he certainly applied the lessons of his past to his career. There's no question that an event like that would have shaped some of my um, thoughts, you know, later in life, uh, you know, about accumulating assets and so forth. Of course, for David Tracy, this was a lesson he feels our hero paid too dearly to learn. I mean, look, I don't think I would ever even put the Jeep up as an option. You know, if you, if you love it that much, you just, you can't do it. It's too risky. It's too great of a vehicle. And as for Walter, well, he's gone too. Walter, my friend Walter, uh, of course he was older. Um, he died right here in the parking lot, Poss quite possibly right where we're standing. He died right here of a heart attack. So, rest in peace, Walter. Yeah, I feel like we should ask it, you to Well, out. you know, I, he got a little bit of my money, but, uh, you know, that's okay. Walter was a good guy. We were, and we remained friends. You know, you just got to pay your gambling debts. That's all there is to it. Jeeps have changed too, of course. They have electronic fuel injection now, and airbags, and power steering, and on and on and on. But one thing that hasn't changed about Jeeps are their allure, their romance. It's something David Tracy says dates back to World War II. It could be, it could be the fact that they liberated so many people. Um, you know, that they were the face of, the face of the Allies. Um, that, that, that could be, I mean, that's how I think it started. Um, I once wrote an article about what happened when my grandpa, uh, my, my opa in Germany, first got a ride in a, an Allied Jeep. Um, and he, you know, he was a German and a, an American soldier in a Jeep drove up to him and he rode in that Jeep and fell in love. There's something about them. But more than just the old days, the Davids agree that Jeep has always been about something else. You know, it takes them to places they couldn't get in the sedan. The her heritage is one thing. Um, for me, the biggest thing is uh, the experiences I've had in Jeeps. So I've done some incredible off-roading with good friends and, and built, um, you know, great friendships around, you know, these off-road adventures. You know, you find an obstacle that you think, oh my gosh, this is too steep, or this mud hole's too deep, or whatever. 
and you know you somehow make it through or you get stuck and you figure out a way out and so I mean that's what draws me in is is being able to just do incredible things with with these vehicles maybe that bleary early morning the CJ5 hadn't given David a way out of some muddy field or down some rocky slope but as he observes you know this is a case where the Jeep kind of saved my butt you know um in a different way. In the car enthusiast world, you can find a joke about any car. You got your Ford guys, you got your Chevy guys, you got your Jeep guys. Well, they like to take the name Ford, F-O-R-D, and take that an acronym and say, you know, well, you know, you know what Ford is. It's fix or repair daily or, you know, found on road dead. With Jeep, the Davids are both familiar with the old saying. J-E-E-P. Just, Just empty, empty every, every pocket. pocket. It's funny. But it strikes me that in the case of David and that long night of pool, it was true in a very literal way. Would you say that that, that morning after you, after you uh, lost to Walt, that you just emptied every pocket? I sure did. You know, uh, I absolutely, as, as, as I said, you know, I, I, uh, I lost the money in my pocket. I lost the money in my little savings account. And uh, then uh, sign over the title. And so we head back, me to my family, David to his. Time passes, things change, and yet here we are in a 40-year-old Jeep. David Tracy's probably driving one just as old, if not older, this very moment. And so are a lot of people. They're going wheeling, or maybe just heading to the beach. Maybe they're telling stories about the willies their grandfathers drove in the war, about the renegades their buddies had in high school, about the Cherokees that were their own first cars. I think Jeeps are always gonna be kind of iconic in a way, in fact, I'm positive. I'd bet my Jeep on it. Or I would if I had one. Thanks for listening to Tempest. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, David Opachowski. I also did the music with some help from my longtime collaborator and friend, Kenny Appel. The theme song is by Distant Correspondent. Visit the show on the web at TempestPodcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at TempestPodcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Tempest. Also, tell your friends about it. And if you have any questions, comments, or compelling car stories, get in touch with me. Tempest at TempestPodcast.com. Till next week. <laughs>